First Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul establishes this relationship, reminding the church that, hey, I was with you, I went through persecution on your behalf, I, I am longing to see you, I'm longing to be with you, you are my glory, you are my joy. And I shared with you that while away for five weeks, I never stopped thinking about most of you. Wondering what's going on with your life, who are you, what's, what's being established. And the question is for you, um, what are you thinking about? What are you contemplating? Because this is the dialogue between Paul. Paul realizes something, that the people he's thinking about are the people that he cares for. And those people that he cares for, he was willing to suffer for. And in that suffering, he begins to understand his full calling to God. How many of you realize you're not going to go through this world without suffering, so you might as well embrace it? I don't know what's being sold on TV. I don't know what's being sold to you in the public, that somehow life is easy. It's not. It never was easy. The problem is we've gotten to a point in time in which we've become a generation, or at least the younger generation has become, and I hope you're not offended by this, but a quite, quite a bit soft and offended by everything that goes on. And the reality is God wants to put his word in you so that you might not take up offense, but actually trust in him. That when somebody says something against you, you, you fall into him. You don't trust in your own abilities. You don't trust in who you think you are. You actually become stronger and bold because you're standing faith and firm on the Word of God. Now, if, if I don't get an amen from that, from a church service, then we've got some serious problems. Because when you go out into the real world, guess what? That's what you're going to experience. And we've gotten to the point so much so that we've, we've, we've kind of curtailed ourselves to understanding that, you know, well, this is who I am. This is who I am. I, I have heard so many different people talk about their ailments and their struggles and their trials saying, this is who I am. It's a lie. It's not true. Because who God says you are is in the word. Now, is there an amen to that one? Now, you may struggle with things. Well, we see this. Go with me at 1, Timothy, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to see this. He says this, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Paul, Paul is taking a journey. And I want, to, I want to stop right there for a second. I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture. You know this because we talked about it last week. When Paul was left in Athens alone... He comes to Areopagus, which is where all the idols are in Athens. And he sees all the little images that are being made up. And last week, I asked you, or two weeks ago, what is your idol? What is your idol? Because all of us have some form of idol, something in our lives that we're struggling with, that we have presupposed and put above God. And we need to be very careful and very repentant and very circumspect and discerning about what we've put above God. And he, he says this, that you, you look very spiritual. That's, what he, he, that's all he could come to. 
you look very spiritual. I see all your idols that you've made. And he says this, that when you, when you do this, and you've come to this idolatry, in Acts chapter 17, he comes to the conclusion, and he says, hey, you must have a God out there that's just unknown to you. They've got, they've got gods to Dionysus, they've got gods to Apollos, they've got gods to, you name the Greek God and the Roman God, and they have it. Tiernan, do you remember when we used to sing Greek and Roman gods? Do you remember that song, Allie? Do you guys remember that? Greek and Roman gods. And we could list all of them. That was part of our homeschooling regime. Why? To teach them what gods are out there that ain't God. And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 17, we have done something, and he says this, that this is what we've done. We've actually replaced God to worship the creature rather than the creator. We've built God into things. We've made God in our own image. This is the danger of man, okay? How many of you understand that? It's very insidious and it's very strange. I was looking at a post uh, recently on Facebook in which there was a painting of Jesus. And I found it very fascinating because it had renamed Jesus in its own image. The person who put up the, the Facebook post basically was drawing Jesus the way he viewed Jesus should be. That's not the way it should go, and that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, don't make God in your image. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave Timothy. I go alone to Athens. I'm going to leave Timothy with you in Thessalonica, and he's going to straighten out the church. How many of you have ever tried to straighten out the church? Wow, what a danger that is, right? But in Acts chapter 16, we do see that this is what's actually happening. Timothy is ministering in Berea which is only 50 miles from Thessalonica, and he's there, and, these, the, and he's saying this, that he's, he's actually going against the Jews, but we know in Berea that they were more fair-minded. It says that they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, they started persecuting Paul, but the Bereans, they wanted to listen to what the, the early Christians had, and so we often say this in, in church circles when we're teaching young people, be a Berean. Why? Because you listen to what the word of God says and you try to apply it. So they receive the word of God with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether the things that Paul was saying was truth. How often does the media give you a lie? How often do you believe it? Let me tell you something. If you spend more time watching the television talk to you, well, you'll become what you watch. Amen? Nobody wants to say that. Oh, no, don't say that. That's not good. What are the things that we're tapping into? What are the things that we're spending our time watching? Netflix will kill you in the end, by the way, if you spend too much time on it. Why? Because we just get sucked into stuff. Some of you are like, say it isn't so. I love Netflix. What are you putting in your mind? How much time do you spend in your word? Do you spend more time in your word or do you spend more time watching the television just indoctrinate you? 
I can tell you. I can tell you this. I've met so many people who regurgitate the phrases that they see on BBC. And you know how I know that? Because I'm guilty of watching BBC. <laughs> wow, I saw that too. The question for us is what are we doing? And Paul leads us to this place. He, he reminds us that Timothy's sitting in Thessalonica. And guess what happens to the Bereans? They learn the word of God. How many of you think it's important to understand the Bible? I got yes. Actually, read it. Amen? Oh, wow. Reading. Um, when we heard the Thessalonians, the word of God was preached by Paul. They came there, and here's what happens. Anytime the word of God is preached, there's going to be resistance. Amen? Do you realize, like, what's going on in this church? We're preaching the Word of God. And guess what? When you preach the Word of God, you're going to get resistance. You know why? Because people like making God into their own image. Then immediately, verse 14, Acts chapter 7, they sent Paul away. And there's the story. They send Paul away. Now, Paul is sitting here writing back to the Thessalonians saying, hey, I want to talk to you about your life. I want to talk to you about what's going on. And this is where 1 Thessalonians is embedded. And he says this, if you, if you want to go a little bit further, he said this, I sent Timothy, our brother, to the minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish and encourage you concerning your faith. How do you get established and encouraged in your faith? Anybody? This is that moment, guys. Read the word. Read the word. Thank you. What else? Fellowship. Fellowship. Hang out with believers who actually will speak to you truth. Right? What else? Prayer. Yeah, praying. Praying and hearing the voice of the Lord. and The Lord's confirming his word in your heart. These are the ways that God speaks to us. You're encouraged. I'm encouraged. Every time I read the Bible, every time I sit down and actually spend time out of the world and actually sit there and take notes in my Bible, your Bible's looking, uh, my, 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 my Bible's busy. You know why? I want that to conform me. I want to be like that. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Timothy. I want to be like Jesus. How many of you want to be like Jesus? You better all raise your hand or you're in trouble. All right? You want to be like Jesus. All right? So... Listen, this is important. And what does Timothy do? Timothy encourages and he establishes. And let me say something about Timothy at this point in time. Timothy is about 20 years old. Don't got to be 60. Don't got to be 40. He's encouraging the church in his 20s. There is hope for the future. Is there not? But the only way you can encourage and establish is if actually you know what God says. I hear Christians say a lot of crazy things that don't make sense and aren't thought through. We have an established responsibility as the believers of God that we actually think through the text and then we speak the text with truth and love. Love and truth. They go hand in hand. And notice what happens here. 
What does he not want? That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. The Thessalonians knew what happened to Paul. They saw what happened to Paul. They saw the riots. And, and what did they do? They get scared. How many of you have been scared when you see persecution come? Right? We, we kind of recoil back. And, and what's, what's Timothy sent there to do? To encourage them so that they would know that, that what? Paul was appointed to this. Let me share something with you. If you don't get this, you're going to have a real hard time in life. You were appointed for persecution. The moment you said yes to Jesus is the moment that you became in war with the world. You are no longer your own. You were bought with a price. And guess what? People will hate you for it. Praise the Lord. Amen. What we need is we need brothers in our lives to battle and sisters to battle with us, not against us. And this is the reality. When you look at this, he says this, For in fact, we told you before we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, verse 5, I sent to know your faith, and there's where we're at, I sent to know your faith, lest some, by some means the tempter had tempted you. You know, there's, there's multiple ways in which you can be tempted in life. Did you know that? The, the word that he's using here is not just Satan, but it could be Satan. We also know that, that it, could be, um, it could be Jesus. He uses the same word for Jesus in John chapter 6 as the tempter. Do you know that Jesus tests your heart to see if you're real? or not? How many fake Christians do we have in society? Say one good thing, but deep down, when the shaking comes, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do, and they fall away. This is why later on in 1 Timothy, he writes to Timothy and says, hey, don't worry. There's going to be a great falling away of believers. And I shared with you last week that my heart and my concern coming back from America is how many Christians after COVID made COVID an excuse not to go back and be with the believers. So many. And I, I appreciated, Stephen, that you set up here and you said, hey, I've got friends that just haven't come back into the faith. Well, how are they going to come back into the faith? You got to go get them. You got to invite them back. You got to drag them back. You got to pick them up. You got to you got to do like Jesus did. He the shepherd would break the legs. <laughs> Marjorie, we're not going to break any legs, okay? <laughs> and carry on his shoulders and bring it back. What do we got to do? We got to be vigilant about reaching out, loving people, and bringing them back. Because why? By proxy, they're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. To leave the God I love. People just don't want to be here. How many of you like going to football? Oh, don't name another God in the society. Right? I won't go there. We have great teams in the city, don't we? All right? I'm not talking about, okay, we're going we're to stop. We've got to stop. That our labor might be in vain, empty-handed. The work that Paul was really concerned about is, is, are my hands empty? The question for our church and all churches is, are our hands empty? 
is the work that we're doing actually producing any fruit in the lives of people? Well, probably not. The only work that's going to produce fruit in the lives of people is teaching the Word of God into the life of the people. Because then the fruit can actually bear fruit as they conform themselves into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we become more like Jesus, and it's really good. And then the world sees us for who we really are. And you know what? We don't have to change. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I don't have to change myself at all. I can be who God called me to be. Just as God, you can be who God called you to be. Timothy could be who God called him to be. Paul could be who God called him to be. We could just go down the list of people. And they don't have to be ashamed about being who they are. But somehow, our church has gotten afraid. We live in fear. We look at the problems and we don't, we don't see the truth that our God is able. Our God is victor. Our God wins in the end. I think, I think Guy said that last week. We have a God. I, I just want to say this. If you are a Christian, you are on the winning team. Are you happy? Some of you guys are just still sitting there looking like, oh. Can I say it again? You're on the winning team. All right. We, the, I've been to Dens, and I've been to Tanadice. And let me tell you something. When they score a goal, just a goal, just a simple goal in a human capacity, what do they do? Yes! They hug their brothers. They get happy. So here's what we're going to do. For three minutes, I'm going to ask you to get happy that you're on the winning team and give your brother and sister a hug somewhere in this place. No, no. I see the, the introverts are like, no. The extroverts are like, you are singing my song. So I'm going to give you two minutes. <laughs> Get out there and give somebody a hug. There you go. Two minutes. Two minutes. You're on the winning team. I, lo I love when churches hold up signs. We give free hugs. All they got to do is come to church and you get free hugs at Downfield. Um, all right. So... All right, all right, all right. I'll just start the preach while you guys are walking around. Um, Timothy brings good news of the faith, verse six, that you've always that that you always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, and we also want to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, the word distress there is violence. Let me tell you something. There's going to be a day in the Western world and in Scotland in which violence comes upon the church again. Because when we say truth, those who cannot tolerate the truth will automatically respond with opposition. So he says this, we, we comforted, we're comforted concerning your faith. What drives me through the day as your pastor is that you're walking with the Lord. I do not feel good when people walk away from the Lord. It bothers me. You know why? Because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. It's an indictment against God himself. Because what you're doing is you're saying, you're not good enough for me. He is good enough for us. Everything he has done is perfect. And I want to prove that to you. I'm going to close out my sermon very shortly. So for those of you who are sitting there going... No, you're not doing that. And thank you, Ellie. 
Um, I'm assuming that you're actually thinking about Scottish traditional music. Um, for all the joy which we rejoice for the sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. The word that you circle perfect. Perfect means perfect. It's, it's the word telos, which has an aim, right? It's where we get the word telescope. And it's important because Paul says something that is very, very important. He says this, that we may perfect what is lacking in your faith. There's only one other time in the Greek at all that Paul uses this same language. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, which gives me the insight that maybe Paul wrote this letter and Colossians at a very close time to get, well, close together in proximity. Because he says the exact same Greek phrase, aseto beo mao, fill up what is lacking. What's lacking in your faith? What's lacking? Because the church is there to fill up what is lacking. If you struggle with mental health, guess what? The church is supposed to be there to help you, to remind you that you are a winner. If you struggle with drugs, the church is there to remind you that you have the power. You are no longer the old man. You are the new man. If, if, if the church struggles with, with sexual promiscuity, guess what? The church is there to remind you that God has a better way. I could go down a list of things that God is able to do for you and in you to help you when your faith is lacking. That's what we're here for. Because Jesus, the author and perfecter, the perfecter of our faith, making us perfect in righteousness, he's the author, he's the founder. He's the one who's going to establish you. And if you can return to him, well, guess what? See, I, I want to say this. There is no lack. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this, that I might, Paul says this, that I might fill up what is lacking uh, in Christ or in the cross of Christ, in the death of Christ. There is nothing lacking in the death of Christ. What he's saying in this concept is that, hey, guess what? Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You, as the church, and I, as the church, are here to help people become more like who? Yeah, him, Jesus. That's our job. And when Paul steps back from this, in the middle of this big, long rhetorical letter of, of five chapters in which he's going to touch on so many things, he puts a doxology right in the middle. Doxa comes to us as praise. That we're to stop and pause during the reading of the letter and praise him. That's what we're supposed to do. It's almost like the psalmist who puts Selah there. You stop, you pause, you reflect. You sing your song, you stop, you pause, you reflect. The doxa reminds us who we're to worship and gives us that indication of stopping. Listen to what he says. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, the three tripartite trinity, what does it say? May the Lord make you increase. 
How many of you want to increase? Jesus put it this way. Some of you are going to reach 30%. That's what he said. He was telling a parable, and he said, some, some 30, some will worship the Lord, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Now, in Scotland, in Scotland, we have 30, 60, and 100-fold. 30, 60, and 100-fold. How many of you have ever had a grade in Scotland? 60. What does 60 mean in Scotland? What is it? C minus? I definitely know 60 is a D plus in America. It's almost just a bit above a failure. How's 30? Oh. Fail. Some 100 fold. How many of you really want to walk with, with the Lord 100 fold? I do. It's all I've ever wanted. I just want to walk with God a hundredfold, which causes me to go, I must then for be holy. How, how many songs, Karen? We didn't plan this, but how many songs did you pick that were about holiness today? God wants you to be holy, which means that he, you bring yourself back to the standard of, of life, which is Jesus, the word, and the word, and you what? You obey it. You live it. Now, May you increase. And what's the next thing? Abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Love. Love is a, love is a very interesting word. Because if I were to ask all 70 of us in here, what would happen with love? What would we say? We'd all come up with something different, wouldn't we? We'd all define it differently. The, the, love, that, the love that he's talking about is the love that Jesus pours out on the believer. He's talking to believers. So specifically, you. And what do believers do to those outside? We show them what? Love. And sometimes, that's feeding someone. Sometimes, it's teaching them English as a second language. Sometimes, it's cleaning up after a barbecue. Sometimes it's showing up at the door with a letter to say, hey, I'm thinking of you. Sometimes it's visiting somebody in the hospital. Sometimes it's showing up when you're supposed to be leading worship. Sometimes it's showing up when you're supposed to be at school. Love has a lot of different ways in which it manifests. And it all stems from grace. God gives us grace. And then he says this, so that after loving all these people, he may establish your hearts. How is your heart established in, the Christ, in Christ's kingdom? How is it buttressed? Do you remember those big cathedrals they would build and they would have a buttress on either side? What does the buttress do? What's it do? Supports, right? It Makes fast, if you wanted to circle it, then put that down. And what does it do? That our hearts might be blameless. Blameless. When you sin, your heart's no longer blameless. When you do something against someone else, your heart is no longer blameless. But here's the thing, that our hearts might be not blameless, or hearts might be blameless in what? Holiness. Jesus said this, be holy as I am holy. 
That's what he said. That's what the Bible has taught from Deuteronomy all the way through. Be holy. How do we, how do we attain that? How does that perfect out? Well, we choose to follow God and to forsake the other gods. That's how it's always worked for the nation of Israel. I'm going to follow the one true God. I'm going to forsake the other gods. In the context of Israel's deliverance, it was the Egyptians. In the context of the Christians, it's whatever God is the God of the age. And the God of our age happens to be what? Can I I have a few gods other than cars? What's the God of our age? Liberal humanism. Yep. That's one of them, for sure. Because of sexual freedom, yeah, promiscuity, sure, that's a God of the age. What else? Self, yeah, I, I care about myself only, yeah, that can be, that's a very dangerous God. What else? Social media can be a God, can it? It can be something that we put above the Lord. Work, yeah. So, so busy working that I forget to actually open my Bible and spend time with Jesus every day. That could be a God. What else? Some people put children so high up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When we should be worshiping God because he's the one who will help us with our children because, quite frankly, we don't know what to do. If we're really honest. Climate change. Oh, I, I love all this recording. This is going online, right? Climate change. Oh, yeah. It can be a God, right? It can be a God, for sure. Um, you know, to get, to get controversial, anything political could be the God, right? Because we're, we're actually believing that somehow someone else can do it better than God can do it. Now, all those things are important, but we have to be very careful on where we put them. Because if they're above God, then we have maybe wandered into idolatry. And we have to repent of that. This nation needs to repent of a lot of things. We can't expect the nation to repent of things if we don't repent of things. And so I know that we're close to the end. And what I want to do is this. I want to sing the last hymn that we have together. We're going to break for teas and coffees. And cakes. Oh, all right. <laughs> we'll keep that out of the mic, all right? Um, let, me, let, me, let me share this with you. As the song is going on, just after we're done, Um, I'll say the benediction. If you need to repent of anything going on in your life, there's something that you brought, there's an idol, there's something there, this is the space to do it. It's not out there, it's here. Where if you confess to your brother, right, that's that's what we're called to do. We're, We're called to bring to each other so that what? The Lord can come in and forgive. The whole understanding of the gospel is forgiveness. So if, if that's you, um, we'll be up here, I'll be here, we can talk, and we can just, we can go right through what it means to forgive, and we can repent. Amen? Amen. Okay.